Hey Jim, did you hear that college campuses across the country are moving from face-to-face -face teaching to online instruction? Yeah, Ash, I did hear that. It's a big move, but it's part of our campus's strategy to limit the spread of coronavirus. What do you think people think about this? I think it's necessary and a great opportunity to show the value of delivering courses online, but some faculty here and parents are concerned that the quality of the instruction is gonna suffer. I really think it's an opportunity to show that the internet is good for more than the three Ps. Three Ps? What's that? You don't know that? No. Pornography and partisan politics. What is the matter with you? Hi, I'm Jim Lowe, and today we're gonna to talk about online learning. Joining me is Ashley Mitek from the University of Illinois. We're both on faculty at the College of Veterinary Medicine and have both taught face-to-face -face as well as online. We'll talk about online learning in higher education, the common misconceptions, as well as approaches that work. This is The Round Bar. So we're gonna talk about online learning today and, and my day job here is to be the director of the iLearning Center, which is the online hub for the college as we're trying to transition really a lot of our CE and our instruction, you know, even in elective courses to online material. So obviously I'm an online advocate and, and Ashley, you've done a lot and we work together daily on these things, but I think I'm gonna play the devil's advocate today and really say is online learning just an internet vending machine? Is it low cost and, and of no value? And I wanna kind of work through this and, and one of the things that I think you and I have talked about a lot is, right, is because we really improve teaching by online because the conception would be, right, the perception would be that we just put these videos up there and you don't really have to watch them and you take some stupid test and that's all this is and it's, um, you know, the, the diploma you and, and is that really true or can we make it better? Can we be better than what we do day to day teaching our students? I think what has really gotten me inspired about online learning and education is that, well, I guess we should say from the beginning is that right, you, can, you can do online learning really well, you can do online learning really poorly, you can teach face-to-face -face really well, you can teach face-to-face -face really poorly. But yeah, if and, we, and I think that's a ticket, right? Like we just assume that all this is a monolith and you and I have these debates and we get very passionate and they're kind of fun and we'll try not to yell at each other on this podcast. But right, I mean, I think the difficulty is we try to lump everything and either it's all good or all bad and all face-to-face right. -face is great or all, but. And I think the biggest problem for me is that online learning is a trigger word right now in a lot of college campuses and there's still a lot of faculty who you say that word and all of a sudden they don't even wanna give you the time of day. They don't wanna consider that this is actually something that could be really beneficial. And so I think that's one initial hurdle that we have to get over when we talk about this um, is, is just that word online learning. So why do they, why do they think it is not good? So let me give you an example of what happened to me, right? I, I, I started here as faculty, right? I'm still pretty young faculty. I started in 2016. And I was lucky to get Are to work. Are you suggesting I'm old? Yeah, you're a little bit older. Okay. <laughs> a little less hair. But, hey, uh, hey, hey, hey. Uh, I've got my so, sock hat to go outside. I'm fine. <laughs> and you're more likely to get coronavirus now, now that I know how all that works. But um, I was in the mailroom, in the faculty mailroom, right? And I was just getting my um, mail. And I ran into a much more senior faculty. This was a few years ago. And I had just gotten into online learning by accident with you and some of your colleagues that were doing really cool things. 
And this faculty member pulled me aside and he said, and this was somebody who had been a mentor to me. And they said, uh, Ashley, I'm really disappointed in you. And I thought they were joking. I was like, where is he going with this? And he said, I heard you got yourself involved in online learning. And he was completely devastated. And I said, well, why, are, why is this such a negative thing to you? And they said, well, that's going to um, take my job away. And I think there's a fear component of that with um, instructors who are accustomed to teaching face-to-face. And then there's a, there's a component of they just right, they don't they don't understand how it could still be really high quality education. And I think that's that's what we should talk about is what are the things that go into online learning that can make it even better than a face-to-face experience. Yeah, so why do you think it was gonna take his job away? I mean, what what was his they I think the what I would consider the antiquated model of education, and we could maybe just talk about medical education for a second since that's the realm we're in, but it applies to all higher ed, is we used to think traditionally that there was this content expert, right? Like you're the pig guy. You know everything about pigs. And the only way I'm ever going to learn about pigs and be remotely as smart as you about diagnosing a pig with respiratory disease is I have to come to your class and listen to you talk, right? And the internet has completely changed that, right? We still have content experts, but the actual content itself, right? What are the five common causes of viral disease or respiratory diseases in pigs or something? You could probably give me a resource online to look at or a textbook chapter, but your value has not been diminished by that, right? Your value actually has been enhanced because the learning that we're trying to accomplish at a higher level is we need people to help our students, our learners, connect the dots. And I think it brings up this really important issue, which I think higher ed has really neglected in the past, which is we focused on teaching, right? We haven't necessarily focused on learning. And teaching and learning are two very, very, very different things. Right? You can stand in front of a group of students and I can teach to, you know, teach my heart out about whatever I'm passionate about, but there may be no learning that's happening. And what gets me excited about online learning, if you do it right, that's why we call it online learning, not online teaching. If you do online learning right, you are able to evaluate if learning is taking place or not. Yeah, but I do that in the classroom. How do you do that in the classroom? So if I've got a group of, you know, 30, 40 students in the room, it's possible for me to write, is it, and I've, as you suggested, I'm old and crotchety, I'm at least old and I'm clearly crotchety. I didn't use that second word. Okay. But, right, I mean, I get in Maybe front of that. Maybe slightly jaded is the word I'd use. Okay. Well, those are, those are synonyms. But um, that's a big word I've learned, I learned to use. I think they're synonyms, but it's okay. It's good enough. This is why I'm not This an is English, not an English course yet. That's We're exactly not right. English so I'm not in the English department, but, but. I look at that room, right, and I'm looking around the room, and I'm lecturing, and I'm talking to students, and we're having this discussion back and forth, and I know when they don't understand because of the questions they ask. Yeah, but how many students are you engaged? Are you engaged with? You say you have 40 students in that class. Are you engaged with all 40 of those students, or are there five students that are the talkers, the thinkers, that are going to be raising their hands? Yeah, that does happen, but I think there's osmotic learning from the other ones, right? Because they listen to those conversations and if two have the question, probably 20 have the question. And so, I mean, that's where I struggle with online because I can't get that that engagement. 
So how do I bridge that? I mean, but, right, that's that's one of the, I think, our challenges. Right, I think it brings up a couple issues, which is what is online learning really good at, right? And I would argue that we are seeing this educational model at a lot of institutions, both at the undergraduate level, graduate level, professional school level, where the average class size is is getting higher, right? So to be able to have a class size that's 10 students, 15 students, or even 40 students may be less common now. And we're more likely to see these mega classes, right? Where there's 100, 200, right? You might even take a class that has 1,000 students in it. Well, you and I teach every day in a curriculum that has 130 students per right, class, right? Right, yes. And so if we take that as one example, where traditionally a lot of the material covered just out of what we would consider efficiency standpoint is a lecture, right? It's essentially the content expert standing in front of the 130 students, blah, 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 right? And the students listen and there's minimal interaction because it's hard to accommodate that many people, right? You, you can't. Well, there's no, there's no interaction. Or, or no interaction at all, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's the and, practical realities, right? They sit and listen to us right. pontificate and then they leave. Right. And so you compare that with the example you're just talking about, which is a slightly smaller classroom. I think... You know, there are some great benefits when you have a smaller class size like that. But where online learning really excels at is then being able to, instead of, if we're talking about these larger class sizes, a lot of the research has shown that at that level, most of the material the instructor is trying to cover, whether it's an intro to biology course or it's an introduction to swine health course, at that type of class size and level the learning objectives tend to fall lower on what we would call Bloom's taxonomy, right? They, they tend to be lower order thinking uh, learning objectives that are remembrance information, right? For example, if you're going to talk about anatomy course, it's where is a femur, right? What does a femur do? What muscles connect to a femur? That's really basic information that is not very cerebral information. And online learning, we can chunk out material, which is a really key word for learning. We can chunk out material into small pieces and allow the students to watch that, right? And either that replaces what was the lecture or they come to class and then you can work it out, right? And I think that's where there's tremendous value in online learning. And we've seen that when we've piloted this stuff with our veterinary students. They love it. They love that they can sit at home and watch the material. They love that they can go back and rewatch it. And then the, the bit about learning and having that interaction with students is that you can get immediate feedback from them based upon the learning management system you use and how you set it up. Are they actually learning what is coming out of my mouth, right? Which you can't always do when you're lecturing to them, when you're lecturing to 130 students, the, you might find out the learning outcome three months later on their final exam, and that's way too late, right? We miss them. We didn't clarify that gap in the students. So, but it doesn't seem to me it works for everything, right? So you're, I think it works for everything. Absolutely. So you're an anesthesiologist by training and habits. and I like controlled substances. We don't need legally. That's a, I like legally using controlled substances and, and animals. Yes. Yes. But so I'm not sure I'm comfortable being anesthetized or having my dog anesthetized by someone who's only done this online and never like actually held the dog and had you hovering over their shoulder teaching them how to do it. So what? Like where's that barrier? How do we close that gap? 
So I think that's a really, that's a great point. So what's really cool about learning is that there's two categories. If you're just going to simplify topics, one is this declarative knowledge, right? Where if we're going to use anesthesia as an example, it, it would be the things like, what is propofol? How does it work? What receptor does propofol work on? What is morphine, right? What, where does that drug work? That material is declarative knowledge. It is something that I can hand a book chapter to a student and say, go read this, or I can make an online course, assess their knowledge, and I can feel very confident they know that information, right? Now, the bit you're talking about is procedural knowledge, right? Like, how do you suture a pig when you do a C-section, right? Or how do you manage a complicated case? That information can be really challenging to convey, depending upon the specialty and the situation, in an online course. It doesn't mean it can't be done, right? But it means that we're set up now that if we wanted to try and convey that information with an online course, that we'd have to put a little bit more effort into it than we would in doing it face-to-face, like in a traditional teaching hospital or whatever, right? So I think there's what online learning is really good at is definitely that lower level learning objectives that's perhaps in a lecture-based classroom where it's a little bit deficient or where we have to work harder at is when it's procedural knowledge, do you know how to do a spay in a dog, right? How do I teach you how to do a spay in a dog? But if we go back straight to anesthesia, right? Much of anesthesia is interpreting readouts from data points whether that's heart rate or respiratory rate or, or blood pressure, and then adjusting the process, right? So there's a bit of art, but there's also, so there's some online things that, right? We, as you said, we'd have to work harder, but we can build really cool simulations that might actually and, be and better. And that's really where the field of anesthesia is going, definitely. We're not there yet in veterinary medicine because we're much smaller compared to the human anesthesia medical field and training programs. But now we're seeing in at least the anesthesia residency programs that they're using simulation models online and they're having much better learning outcomes. Because the cool thing about that is that, you know, if you take, uh, you know, some patient that say has a very rare cardiovascular disease, they have to have heart surgery or whatever, you may see anesthetic phenomena or weird things that happen with that case maybe once in your residency, if that. You may not always get to see that case. But we can recreate all these situations with case simulations online and change the blood pressure, change the heart rate, say, what do you want to do now? Oh, they just died. What's going to be your next step, right? And we can have them think through that logic in a what we would call a safe space where there's no error risk for human health. And that is a great example of how you can incorporate a case simulation that's really high level on Bloom's taxonomy, right? It's an application of knowledge. You might have to actually even create new things and think about problem solving this situation. Um, So that's definitely available with, with online learning. So we're fixing to take all these classes at all these universities and drop them online and, and magically in seven days create online courses, right? So there's kind of been two strategies as I've looked at the news. One is uh, we're either going to delay spring break because they're in spring break right now and bring them back a week later, or in our case, we're going to have spring break and then they're just going to magically come back. So in seven days, poof, we're going to create an online curriculum or alternative delivery curriculum. I know how that's going to be done. Like, 
can we just take an on can we just take a regular class and plunk it online or do we need to like think about that i think what's going to happen in the short term is not ideal but it's what we're going to have to do right so we're essentially telling instructors hey with 24 hours notice or a week's notice you're going to have to convert everything online and there's some limited options on on how you do that right and and probably what we're going to see a lot of universities adopt is lecture capture type systems or do these live or recorded um, lectures so that what they were initially going to present with a PowerPoint in front of students, they're just going to sit at home and do that with their computer and maybe do audio over slides. But what we know, what we've learned going through this process over the past several years, converting face-to-face courses to online is if you do it right, it takes a long time, right? And, and we both have had experiences where we thought we could convert a online, a course to online or, or a new novel online course that we thought we could make it in six months, right? And it was never six months, right? And the running joke around here is that how many years did it take me to create one of our online courses? Like roughly 1.75 babies, right? Which is more than six months if you yes. do the math. So I think it takes a long time to do it right. But the best part about that, and it goes back to the quality issue, is that If you do it right, you learn so much as the instructor because you have to think about how do you break down the material. Somebody a long time ago, I don't know why, 100 years ago plus, came up with this idea that in college, in in other educational formats, that this 50 minute or one hour lecture was this ideal attention span. And we know now that is so wrong right? Our student attention span is nowhere near 50 minutes. My attention span is not worth 50 minutes. (laughs) And so what we're learning more and more is that we really need to chunk out the material and focus on certain learning objectives and either make a video around that learning objective. And, And the ideal time is probably somewhere between five and 10 minutes. And then you build your course by what, what we know is a principle that works really well, which is this idea of backwards design, right? So you figure out, what do I want my students to be able to answer on an exam? What are my assessment questions? What, I'm, what am I really trying to accomplish? And then you go backwards from that and identify what learning objectives do I need to include? And instead of doing a whole 50-minute lecture, you might break it down into to smaller pieces, right? So it sounds like we're going to go do this, and it might be a bit of a challenge. Um, but there's maybe an opportunity to think about how do we get better and how do we teach differently and, and how do we lever in, in these online tools to really increase student learning. And one of the things is, you know, we've kind of been on this journey of how do you build classes. It's really made me rethink about how I lecture. And the reference I go back to is, right, I, ha- I can't remember the last time I've read an instruction manual. Or uh, let's dig out, I gotta find something in the car, I'm working on a tractor or something, right? I gotta work on something. Well, I don't go dig out the manual anymore. It's, you know, a half You look inch. it up on YouTube. I YouTube right? it, that's exactly right. And so why do I do that? Well, because it's focused and it's to the point and then I would string those together as I need them to do multiple steps. And I think that's what we're talking about here, right? How do I, how do I string the ideas together in short bits that I can concentrate on? Right, and I think the thing that's really interesting about that comment is that The students, I'm going to say this, and everybody listening to this is going to be offended, but that's okay. 
The students are smarter than us when it comes to education. They are usually ahead of the curve in figuring out what is the most efficient and effective way for me to learn material. And we know this because one of the things I think is really interesting is they've studied this, what the attendance rates are for medical school lectures. And it's really low, right? It's at a, at a minimum, it's, it's at least 25% of medical students are saying, I never went to class, right? And then if you talk to those students, and the other interesting thing is you follow them out on their final exam scores. There's no benefit to them going to class, at least in some of these smaller studies. And where I'm going with this is when you ask those students, how were you learning, right? How did you still score at the same level or higher than the, your peers that went to every class and every lecture? They're going to tell you they looked stuff up on YouTube, they watched videos, they found the resources that could effectively educate themselves on that material. And so I think we need to keep watching what these little guinea pigs are doing, our students, because they're actually a pretty good window into how we should be thinking about designing online courses, right? Well, and I think that gets back to a bit, right? Like we all had different styles and, and you know, we both made it to vet school and graduate degrees and yeah, other but things. I, I don't mean to cut you off, but there, this whole idea of learning styles, that, that was made up. That has completely been debunked. If that's where you're going with styles, right? There, we've had this conversation about people are auditory learners or visual learners. All the recent research shows that that is not true. There's one good way to learn. And that is? Online. Okay. <laughs> but I do think, right, we figure that out over time, right, that, that um, each of us have learned and said, how do we flex? And so, right, one of sure. our big mantras around here is, right, how do we be individualized? And how do we meet the learner where they're at? And I think that's, we can't take online, we can't take all these classes and shove it back to, uh, we're going to teach one way. We have to provide this variety and how do we meet learners where we're at? And I think that's the grand experiment we're going to conduct here over the next few months is, is universities move to, move to online and, and we move that out. Right. I want to add one more thing before you cut me off. I know we're going to go. But with the learning style comment, that's true. But that doesn't necessarily mean we shouldn't be individualizing learning, which is what you're saying. And that's right. The beauty of online learning is that we can provide these options for students to go at their own pace and, and learn kind of in the format that they want to learn in. Absolutely. Ash, thanks for joining us. We hope you've enjoyed listening and we'd love to hear from you too. Find us on Twitter. Our handle is at the round barn one, or you can email us at the round barn at vetmed.illinois.edu. We may even share your comments on our next show. Please subscribe and tell your friends about the show. It's available on iTunes or the podcaster of your choice. And one last thing, we offer a wide range of learning opportunities, even a multimedia empire for folks who work with livestock and veterinarians too. You can learn more at online.vetmed.illinois.edu. See you in two weeks. <laughs>